Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with his commandments and has commanded us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Please, Adonai, our God, sweeten the words of your Torah in our mouth and in the mouth of your people, the family of Israel. May we and our offspring and the offspring of your people, the house of Israel, all of us, know your name and study your Torah for its own sake. Blessed you, Adonai, who teaches Torah to his people Israel. Blessed you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who selected us from all the peoples and gave us his Torah. Blessed are you, Adonai, giver of the Torah. Amen. Amen. We're going to do a little critique of the church tonight. But I want to uh, remind ourselves before we begin that as we speak of the visible representation of the church in our world today, we are speaking of brothers and sisters in Messiah Yeshua, by and large. And I recognize, having been in the church for many, many, many years, that the percentages of perhaps 8 out of 10 people in the pews not being truly saved and true believers may in fact be true. But that's not our problem. That's not our decision. These people claim Christ. Good enough for us. So I'd like us to keep it on a on a high level, and not bash, but rather critique, in the end that uh, others may not come to know our Messiah Yeshua in a more living and vibrant way. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, uh, I have two assumptions walking into this for those who may be watching from afar. Um, big shout out to uh, the men of Torah North. Uh, as well as uh, those in the frozen tundra, Bill Lensmeyer and his family. Uh, I think it's probably negative 400 degrees over there. It's, it's, almost, it's almost zero Kelvin. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. So um, my two assumptions, the church has not replaced Israel as Hashem's people. So if, if you're in the church and listening to this later on and you believe that that is the case, that they have abrogated their responsibilities and have been replaced by God. I don't, I don't partake of that particular theological premise. Secondly, a place in the world to come is available to all who bow the knee to Yeshua. You recognize him as Messiah, and you have a place in the world to come. Nothing more and nothing less is required to have a place in the world to come. These are my two presuppositions. Are we good to move on? Okay. Then, uh, the New Testament church. I found this on the internet. I thought it curious. Setbacks are not defeats. That's beautiful, though. It sounds so good. And I just wonder, could I just get some input from you guys? What's a setback? Well, righteous man falls seven times and rises again. Righteous man falls seven times and rises again. A setback. Would you call that a setback? Well, how would you describe it? Joshua, did you sin today? Yes. Okay. Now, did you address that in your mind as a setback? As a defeat? Well, setbacks are not defeats. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> or did you simply... Ask for forgiveness 
and continue your walk. What did you do? I would hope, I would like to think that most of the errors that I make are more stumbles than setbacks. Stumbles, setbacks. Because I see setback as being like going backwards. I'm losing ground. I'm actually not where I was today. I'm backsliding. I'm looking for, okay, so it's not backsliding. I'm looking for a point regarding the Torah that I think is overlooked by the mainstream Christendom churches today. Can you keep the law, Jerry? Yes. I mean, that seems so antithetical to what we're taught in the church. You can keep the... You can... Are you saying you're, are you saying you're without sin? No. Of course not. So... What is it in the Torah or the law of God that leads you to believe so strongly that you can keep the law? Uh, say it again. What there's is there's it an happens? aspect of the law that is overlooked by the church that makes it no problem when you make a mistake. I've already tried to. not burn something? That's true. It has provisions for when we actually do sin and fall short of what it says. So if you don't keep the commandment, God has already told us what to do to rectify the problem. Through our presupposes you are a sinner. There it is. The Torah presupposes that this fleshly body may fail. And if so... There is provision. Okay. An example would be paying back one fifth interest on, you know, something you stole or or borrow. Or Even borrow. if you borrow, right? You borrow my my tractor and you wreck it. Damaged it. Yeah. Right. You're going to fix it and return it. Now there's no judgment. There's no guilt. There's no problem, because you messed up and the law provided the provision for you to fix it. Josh. But then to take it to the next level. Um, the Torah itself specifies that it is not in heaven, that it is too far for you, it is not across the sea. In other words, meaning that you can keep it. It is not too difficult for you, literally, to quote it there. I mean, um, and within that concept, I find it somewhat ironic um, and sad, I would say, that the Christian church tends to point the finger at those who keep the Torah and say, you can't keep it. To which the irony I want to respond is actually the parts that I added are the easiest ones to keep. Keeping Shabbat is a whole lot easier than not getting angry or than not, you know, lusting or not coveting after something. Absolutely. It's like, in fact, the only parts of the law that are really hard to keep are the ones that the Christian <laughs> the church keep. wants to do. Yeah, that's exactly that's right. the hard part. So actually, as if I was only keeping the Torah, well, just the simple stuff, most of it I could do pretty well. It's the laws of Christ, as it were, that are really hard to keep. All right, we'll get there. Yes, sir. Which, actually, I was going to point out, those are the ones that don't have provisions. When you take the Lord's name in vain, for instance, God. or you don't love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. I mean, there, there are several yeah. big commandments yeah. that require the blood atonement to be That's true. exactly right. Because you're basically host. Right. Yeah. But like Joshua was saying, those are the... Those are the ones, things. and the ones that the church, for some reason, yeah, has glommed onto. Ones. <laughs> Kudos to them for taking the hardest ones. 
I, uh, I, I'm still so, I'm still so very thrilled that my good friend Scott has, uh, has chosen to join us again. Because you guys may not realize it, there's over a million here. But Scott beat you to this class by years. Scott and I were meeting for stuff like this long before this class ever existed. And then he dropped out. In order to raise that young man to get to this age. And now he's back with his son. And I'm thrilled to have them both here. So, I was just going to put him on the spot, but there he did, so it's okay. Ah! Yes, sir. I guess, in the context of this discussion on setbacks, I'm reminded of Shaul, Rav Shaul, who, on the one hand, said, I'm blameless according to the law. True. But on the other hand, said, I do what I don't want to do, and I don't Don't do do what I I want to do. Right. That is, perhaps, setbacks... You know, Good. where just you know our nature being what it is, we just we're not always we're not always there. But but you raise a good point that the Apostle Paul, who seems to be the the gold standard, right. didn't seem to be defeated or concerned in any way. It's like this is life. I recognize it. I've repented. I'm moving on. In fact, he said. I have more than conquered. That's right. And I've, I've finished the course. I ran the race. I ran the race. I did the deal. That's it. Yes, sir. In order to have a setback, there has to be an attainable goal that you are being set back from. Okay. So if there is no way that you can really keep the Torah, then technically there's really no be set setback. Back. Okay. So yes. to yes. say that there is a setback means that you can progressively keep more... And more and more. Well, I mean, probably in the NTC context, we're talking about getting closer and closer to God. Well, how do you? Which is through the Torah in our belief system, but you know they probably think other ways. Okay, I have some observations on the on the visible representation of the church in my day. There's only four, five, six bullet points. But I've observed these, and I believe that they are absolutely toxic to the walk of faith. And for this reason, I am, I am so grateful that God opened my eyes to the Torah. And we pulled away, if you will, from, from that practice. And now we keep this one. So I'm going to walk through these real quick. I'd like to get your comments on each one. And we'll see. Do you see the problem that I see? Okay? So the first one is, of course, the place. Right? We, we need to go to church. What's the reality? We are the church. We are the church. The church is people, not a place. Why do you suppose that the church has over time, these past 2,000 years, evolved, if you will, into a place rather than a people? Gregory? I think it's a replacement of the temple. Okay, yeah. And we're going to get into that with some scripture. I think so too. A, A replacement of the temple. What's the problem? 
It's not the temple. It's not the temple. It's not in the right place. Okay. Can you be just a little bit more robust? The problem is you you miss what good there was from the temple by replacing it with something new. So therefore, you don't have to read about it or learn about it, which is an aspect of God that you miss out on completely by not studying. Okay, so give me some quick things about the temple. Number one. It was the place that was required to go to three times a year by all the males of Israel. Okay, and sacrifice. And so the church buildings, there's more per capita here than anywhere else on the planet other than, is it Glasgow, Edinburgh, 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 Scotland? Scotland. No, it's been changed. Oh, it's been changed? It's here now. Oh, it is here! There's your place is right here! But if, if we go to this church versus that church, we're really not fulfilling what we said. Okay, second. Yeah, wrong place. The, the place must be Jerusalem. The ne- it needs God to be Jerusalem, the place where God set his set name. His name. Okay. The, the, the temple housed the very presence of Hashem. The Shekinah itself, or the Shekinah glory, was right there. And it's not, it, it can't be on every street corner in Charlotte. Okay, that's a good few. Who had something else? I was going to say, yes. we. Can we say that that buildings are bad because we don't have a temple anymore? So can we say that the church is acting like Ezra and implementing the synagogue system, trying to get people in to teach them Torah? I don't have a I don't have a problem with the synagogue. I like that. I like that. And I think I think we're gonna just name you as our resident. What do you call that? I'll be the MTC for the day. No, not trouble. Here, I think you're. I think he's, yeah, he's. You know, you're bringing up a good defense there. To be fair, I don't have a problem with it being treated as a synagogue. Now, I would ask you this: though as a follow-up, would you say that the visible representation of the church system today is treating the place, that building, as a synagogue for for to gather for prayer, or as as Gregory said? More of a replacement. No, I mean it's not church. even close to that. It's, it's definitely God's, a business, you know. House, but right? I mean, what? It's God's house. It's God's house, and it, <laughs> it is the church on the corner here, God's house, or is it, or is His house on the next block? See the problem? Many rooms. <laughs> Many rooms in God's house. Yes. Well, I was gonna kind of dovetail off of that. It, it, it's always given that sanctity. You don't like if you're in church and someone says, "Oh, you can't say that here. You're in God's house." As soon as they leave, there's no issues there. Yeah, unless we go to a relevant church, yeah. then we're allowed. And the, the, the hardest part about <laughs> that is that you may look at people who go to you're a curious. home church, home community like we do. Yeah, and it's given much less weight. Like, oh, you don't go to a real church. No so sanctity. Yeah, I mean, come on. The weight of the the weight of your beliefs and the way that you carry out should be. How you are everywhere, not just based on what you do inside of these doors. Yeah, I agree. There's almost this this concept of, well, when your fellowship reaches the the gravitas of a real community or congregation, you'll get a building. I was in Jerusalem, and of course, um, had my head covered, and most of the time had my kippa on, and over it had some cool Indiana Jones kind of. Had you know, and which just I thought not only kept me from sunstroke, but but actually also looked pretty cool at the same time. So, 
we started to go down into one of these Catholic churches, you know, and you've got the winding staircase to go down, and, uh, and the, the Catholic believers are coming up the steps. And this guy stopped. I mean, there must have been 35 of us in the tour. And he stopped. And he got right up in my face. I mean, I'm from New York. He got right up <laughs> in my face. Need to remove your hat, sir. It's the house of God. Don't you know where you are? South Carolina? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was. It was a little tense. I think even before I joined this community, I always thought that the church, and I was deep into it, was that it's actually, uh, I think it makes believers lazy. The church building makes believers lazy. That was Jerry Wright <laughs> making the... Why do you say that? Because... Uh, and I hear the most recent person out of the visible representation, I think. So So you have more no, gravitas right now because we all forgot. Nah, I wouldn't say that. But um, it makes them lazy because um, I'll give two examples. When I was in the Baptist church in Texas, uh, 80% of the congregation went to Sunday school class to right. study the word, right. deeper study the word of God. Yeah. When I came here, 20% of the people go to Sunday school class to study. So we've always had the impression that the church... Texans are more religious. Exactly. Well, we all know that. <laughs> I mean, it's the holy land, right? So anyway... So anyway, my point is is that, um, is that you know, the, con the congregation or the, or the main sanctuary is for trying to bring people yes. to give their life. Sure. The rest was deeper study. Well, nobody... Nobody goes to the deeper study, so it makes more believers, to me, lazy. You come in, you hear something, and you go. So I always had a problem with that early on. I never understood why all these people came in and then went home. Right. They didn't want to study. Right. They just wanted to be fed okay, so and go home. Okay. So it's interesting. I think the vast majority of of the churches, the church buildings, at least in this town, I think, and, and I think you and I did a study of this once, claim that their service on Sunday morning is a worship service. And, and yet, the fallacy here is that, as Jerry said, that's the service where we want to present the gospel. That's the service where we want to evangelize and give an invitation. Well, well, hang on. I don't know a lot about the Bible, but I was under the impression that only true believers, his children, can worship him in spirit and in truth. So if that's who's in the room... We don't need an evangelistic message. We need something that's uplifting, perhaps. But to Jerry's point, the true believers are going to Sunday school, but only 20%. You, then you. I think dovetailing off of Jerry's comments about it being... Um, Speak up so they can hear you. People, wow, that's the first time I've ever heard that. Um, making people lazy. I think that the... Uh, um, 
the issue that I always remember hearing, I felt like, and I even feel like it's here today from people I still know who go to church, is the church becomes the end all. It's like my my version of evangelism is invite someone to church. Right. My exactly version, right. My version. We're gonna get to that. Make it clear. My version of, of study is to go to church. If I if I'm being a good believer, I'm in the church building every time the doors are open. Precisely. We're I'm, gonna get into that too. If I'm gonna fellowship with the believers, I'm gonna go to dinner on Wednesday night at the church. So basically, what ends up happening is that almost all of the things that I am supposed to do, particularly when you take the Torah out. There's not a whole lot of commandments left that you physically do. All of the physical doing commandments, fellowshipping of believers, studying the word of God, revolve and, around the building. And evangelism. Not, no, actually, the problem to me is it's not that they revolve around the building, but that the building becomes the place for them. So that then, if I'm there on Sunday and Wednesday, I can ignore those three commandments the entire rest of the week because I did my part on Sunday and Wednesday. And um, especially, I think one of the biggest problems that is fellowship. I think it's absolutely tragic that most people consider sitting next to someone in a pew to be fellowshipping with fellow believers. Exactly right. That's not a relationship. No, it's not. The real relationship never happened in the church. It always happened outside, either at someone's home or at an activity together, whatever the case may be. You're far more likely to have real Christian fellowship sitting together playing a board game in someone's living room than you are in a church building. Right. As long as you're not Baptist and playing cards. <laughs> I, just, I, got you now. I feel like what you brought up about it being a worship service would be an answer to your question, Colby. That's why I think it's a replacement of the temple, not a synagogue. Because it's claimed to be a worship service, not a time of study. That's more like Sunday school. I would say it's more it's trying to follow this the the synagogue type system if it was study, like Sunday school, but it's not. It's I, worship I think service, you're right on the money. Where it comes, I do. Where the temple I comes. think that's good. Stand by one second. Great. I'm going to save my comment for later. Okay, Cole. Taylor's first. Taylor. About Sunday. Wait a minute. I realize you all want to outdo one another in brotherly love. I realize that you want to defer to the other. But if I point to you, darn it, speak up. About Sunday school. Sunday school is actually a recent invention. It's not even as though that's. Are you going to talk about the Sunday school board? There, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Do you want but me it's, to? For example, if you don't have Sunday school, if you go to a church that mixes Sunday school, there, there have been church splits, splits. over Absolutely. questionable Sunday school practices. And it's crazy, because I used to be, I can't go to church if you don't have Sunday school. That's what they did in the New Testament. But because, that's not true. Because you're doing what Gregory said. You're recognizing the difference between worship and study. Right. And if we're going to go into the worship service, big church, then where's my feeding? Oh, right. Big church. Good point. Good point. Okay. I love that. Okay, I got you next, Pete. And then you decided to chime in now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hang on. Yes. I just um, respond to Greg's point. Because I don't, because is a synagogue for study? Because what? <laughs> well, I was, again, well, finish your point, but I, I think I... I don't know, I was thinking... I was thinking the synagogue was mainly for prayer. Okay. And the prayer is modeled after the temple service. Right. So, sacrifices. So, in that way, the church is doing a worship service, and the synagogue is doing a worship service. 
And if the church is thinking it's replaced the temple, so has the synagogue. I think some synagogues are called temples. Yeah. Well, okay. Okay. You make a good point. Um, I, I, would, I would go so far as to say that the synagogue was, in fact, designed to be a replacement of the temple. Right. But because so the temple had been destroyed. So was the early church, though. I, I, with you, would, you would argue that? I, I, would, I would ask as well. Oh, good. We've got two arguments. <laughs> Stand by. So, first, my first comment is with respect to the, the, the idea of you have study and you have worship. <coughs> What's interesting is that in, in the Hebraic mindset, the highest form of worship is study. Right. So, study the Torah. Right. That is that is the highest form of worship. But um, so, with respect to the synagogue was designed to replace temple, that can't be true because we had synagogues Before while the temple we had was still the temple standing. Destroyed. Correct. Okay, so the, te- the synagogue was originally a place for study primarily. Then after we have no temple, we, you know, the sages enacted the, um, the concept of prayer the, the prayer the services yeah. as, a, as a proxy or whatever for the Temple, yeah. you know, the daily, uh, daily temple service. Okay. So that's a that's a later. that's a later innovation post yeah. destruction. Of but the but to your temple. point, we have apostolic evidence that the synagogue in Capernaum, the synagogue in Nazareth, were regular places of study and prayer of the Master. Yes. And of course, the temple was still standing. Good point. And if you look at the history of modern reform, conservative Orthodox Judaism as they were being formed in the 1800s, yes. you have Moshe Mendelssohn, the, the basically the man who makes a modern Orthodox Judaism what it is, chastising Rabbi Abrams and Rabbi Jacobson, who were the reform and conservative leaders, for establishing a temple system for, for their expression. Because he was like, no, you, we, we're not allowed to have temples. A synagogue is, 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 you can't even call it a temple. It's different. And that's right. why you don't see orthodox shuls called temple. And, yeah. Right. That's a conservative. A conservative order. Form. And it's the orthodox yeah. shul is the Chabad house right. or the Charlotte Torah Center. Right, right. Or, yeah. Or the orthodox There's a big subconscious that's very, that's very different. But also, just one comment is I think we've only been exposed to cause the, the Protestant versions of church and the, and the services of the recent history, which is a new flash in the pan when you look at broad Christianity, even in the global sense. If you go outside the U.S., it, it is very much ritualistic and very much not necessarily a study or a sit and be fed, but as a, a time of prayer that's actually very similar to what a Orthodox service would be. Extraordinary, litur- extraordinarily liturgical. Right. Sure. So for those of uh, stand by, <laughs> for those of uh, of uh, the folks that are either here for uh, the first couple of times or haven't seen this, and those listening afar, where is Reformed Orthodox Conservative Judaism? And the Protestant Reformation. We're pointing over here, at the last third of this wall. Where's the master? All the way back. Where's the destruction of the temple? All the way back here. So you've got a long ways that we've seen that. You then you? Quick, we're going to move on. Coming on the place, one of the arguments in the church to build big campuses, have flat screens, lasers, smoke shows, everything like that. Is because smoke shows. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. 
Scented churches. Really? So in my television, replacing incense. Yeah. No, that's replacement theology. In my time in one of the largest mega churches here, the biggest justification is we want to, you know, that you justify it by building a temple. So we want to represent God in excellence. Therefore, we have the nicest everything. Put on a good show. Okay. Okay. Because we want to represent God in excellence. Okay. That's the justification. All right, good. Great comments. Great comments. So my my second observation about the about the visible representation of the church as I have experienced it over the past thirty or forty years is that it fosters a dependence on the church. It expresses an underlying tone that you can't make it without the church. You have to be here. You have to come to the building. And the questions and the and the extraordinary guilt trip that's put on you for not attending the place is to keep you dependent. I think it goes further. I think that by subjecting believers to worship services that are designed to introduce Messiah to the lost and not making Sunday school a part of the, a mandated part of the experience, these people are left stilted stunted in their growth. And you have Baptists who have been attending church services multiple decades and have the equivalent in time of two or three master's degrees in theology and still cannot express the divinity of Messiah or how important the resurrection is. Or what the gospel is. This dependency, I submit, as a critique today, is one of the most dangerous things out there. And we would do well to help people to study on their own. Not necessarily keep the Torah, not necessarily come to Bella Torah but to study the scriptures, to show themselves approved, that they might accurately handle the word of God, rightly dividing it. I know I've read that. Well, that's what the pastor's for. We're going to get into that. Thank you. Yes. To your point, I, I totally agree. To your point, it's you know being ready you know at all times to give an account of the hope that lies within us. And then I'm reminded of several discussions that come up You know when we have... When the concept of Messiah and divinity, you're talking to an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, you know, the guy will cut them off at the knees. Why? Because they haven't studied it on their own. Well, hang on, let me call my pastor. It, it can't be like that. Johnny, what happens to 85% of Baptist kids who go to college? They lose their faith. They lose, they lose their faith. Yeah. How can this be? 
Why would this be? Well, they're dependent on the place, and they're no longer at the place. Because they only know what they believe when the pastor says, this is what we believe. Do you believe that? Amen, brother. You catch him in the deli. You catch him in Harris Teeter, and they can't express it. I got you. But that's a parental thing, too. Mm-hmm. Well, now... <laughs> that, goes back, that goes back to the dependence in the place thing, because that's one of the other problems. Um, more often than not, parents treat the church as yes. the tutors of their kids. Yes. So three, they three, don't three. teach them at all at home. Yes. So what they happens when the Sunday family school. hits the door of the church? They split right. you up. Church. They scatter. That's where the, that's where it goes. That's where the onus goes. I have no argument, nor do I disagree with you. I'm with you 100%. That dependence started very early. Uh, we have quotes from the early church fathers saying, "You cannot have God as your father unless you have the church as your mother." So now, for those on the camera watching that may not have seen it, this man is is talking about back here. When the Protestant Reformation's way over there, we're in that corner where the camera is, and Taylor is talking about here, 300, 400 in the common era. And more than that, they, uh, they interpreted scripture that way, so that allegorically, Noah and the ark was Noah fleeing to the church, which was the ark. <laughs> and you have the, uh, the Good Samaritan, the innkeeper, uh, is Paul and the end is the church. So everything is reinterpreted in light of that dependence. It's amazing. It's song of songs. <laughs> I, I would, though, just in, in fairness, I would argue... Are you, are you being devil's advocate? I like that. Go, go! He's being Christian's advocate. <laughs> <laughs> are they... <laughs> <laughs> this problem of dependence <laughs> is not just a Christian problem. Mm. I, I won't deny that. Has the same problem. Indeed, they do. <laughs> so, however, I would argue that Orthodox Judaism's recidivism rate, recidivism rate for their young people is statistically zero. No, no question. But in terms of, um, in, in terms of, and maybe this really speaks more to the reliance on the pastor. Or, or the, rabbi. the rabbi. Yeah. I mean, case in point, when I was in Israel two weeks ago, um, in the uh, I'm in the Jewish quarter of the old city, and I wander into this uh, shop, and I'm just kind of looking around. Orthodox guy sitting behind the counter. There's um, uh, a tourist there um, from I think she had a British accent, so it was either Australia or England or somewhere. And you know he's got a he's got a wall of all these different mezuzahs, right? And she's like, she asked him, "What are these?" Okay, this is an Orthodox Jew keep wearing zitzit and pole nine, right? And he's like, um, "Well, that's that's a mezuzah that we put on our door." Okay, well, but why? Well, um, because it says so in the Torah. Good answer so okay. far. But, you know, she's, like, wanting to understand the real meaning behind sure, this. Sure, He couldn't give her. All he knew was, we, this is what we do because the Torah says so. He had no real grasp on the real, you know. So 
there's a problem. This has a problem in both camps. Now, Greg gave a class on mezuzim and the whole deal right there in the store, and that's available online for nine ninety five. No, going back to this dependence thing, I think it also affects um, a lot of. In, in Christendom, I think it focuses somewhat on what is studied in a topic level. In Judaism, I'm afraid it focuses more on what is studied on a um, on more like a, a, a grander level. Like um, in, in Judaism, Did you say grander level. I, I'm trying to think of the right, structural structural level. Like Torah and Talmud become pretty much the only thing that's studied for certain in the even the Orthodox community. So that if you were, I mean, I remember I've heard that. Or that even Orthodox Jews would be like, don't almost know nothing about the prophets, for example, sure. because they never spent time studying. Right, right, right. Um, and, and in fact, a lot of Orthodox Judaism is only studying the Talmud today, right, and, and the, not the Torah, right. And that actually, there are even people within Orthodox Judaism that critique that because they have a real problem with that. Yeah. Okay. So, I, but that I, I think, but I think that's fostered somewhat to a degree with this again dependence on people above us who are giving us guidelines and leadership. No one takes ownership of their own faith. They do what someone above them told them to do, who's doing what someone told them to do, essentially. Exactly. And I think with so, Christendom, it's the same thing, whereas like the focus in Christendom, I think, is oftentimes spent studying on topics like forgiveness and no condemnation and evangelism, and no one stops to actually even spend the time to study the topics that are... I'm with you. So I'm what's the focus here? In this room? Yes, sir. In this the focus class. here is... Well, this particular focus is um, looking at the problems that we see in the church today, which I would take in turn and say, I think that's something that we should be considering about ourselves. As a whole. Walk. It's our walk. That's the focus of this class, not this class. Right. It's not a class. Right. Right? Our focus is on the walk and our responsibility. And you better believe, men, I expect that you will step to the plate. You should not need anyone to teach you the divinity of Messiah. You should be able to stand up here and teach it. Because if you can't teach it here to your friends, how can you expect to be able to roll it off your tongue to someone outside? I got you. I got you. I'm going to take you first. In Elevation, it's very interesting. They take one person to preach all the sermons and have a big screen on it. That's almost depending on they're depending on one person. Exactly. He's not Moses. He's not God. He's not God. And, and I've, I've got a, uh, almost had an opportunity to get the gig to do the IT for them. Do you have any idea what it's like? If what's his name can't be seen? Was it Furtick? Furtick. Yeah. Can't be seen on the on the screen on the North Charlotte? When it... Messiah probably come back. That's a little <laughs> pressure, baby. Let me tell you. Yes. No, no pressure. I, I, I was going to... Uh, I was just going to bring up... I had asked you a little while ago, what it was that allowed you to rise through the ranks at all the churches that you attended, because I always heard that from Morgan, that you were you, you were either an elder or a deacon or something in all of the churches that you were involved in, and I think your answer was key to, similar to what Joshua was saying, and it was, you basically, just out of habit or, or instinct, would walk up to the pastor and say, how can I serve you? And I think that is the opposite mindset typically it's more of like a restaurant where you're paying for a service and and then you just expect whatever it is that you get you, there's no involvement on your part versus more like an, an organization or somewhere you, where you work you have 
an authority figure. Absolutely. You know, a rabbi isn't a bad thing. And a responsibility. But it's that, you're right, you have a responsibility to support that person in authority, which makes you accountable for your own actions, your own study, and your own work and effort. Amen. And in fact, just so Joshua clearly hears it, we're expecting that you know everything that every other guy in this room knows. And it's their responsibility to make sure you know it. And it's your responsibility to ask to make sure that you know it. Amen? Amen. Shouldn't be any dependency. I'm glad we're in agreement on this. The next one is maturity. And it comes to mind that I rarely meet mature it's Baptists. I rarely meet mature Presbyterian. I rarely meet mature fill in the blank. Why is that? I believe that it has nothing to do with the man of God. It has to do with the environment in which he's been placed, the environment in which he's been reared, the environment in which he's been led to believe is correct, and it breeds an impossibility of maturity. Here's an example. This man here, I say this man, I would not have said that a few weeks ago. I say it now because he is bar mitzvah. What does that mean? He is a son of the commandments. His father has determined that he is old enough responsible enough to be accountable to the commandments of God. What does that mean? That means he knows the commandments and he will keep those commandments. That he will help other men in their walk in those commandments. That's what it means. And I believe that. There's a bar, there's a maturity level, and there's an expectation. I grew up in the church. I never saw this. Do you know who the mature one was? Pastor. There was never an expectation that you would get to a point. All there was was a request for guys to teach Sunday school or to lead the youth group. Can you play the guitar? Great! You can lead the youth group. <laughs> Shocking. Yes, sir. And yes, sir. I beg your pardon. Were you first? No, go ahead. I think you were first. Go ahead. Well, if son. you're going to call on me. I'm calling on you. I'm calling you. No, I was just thinking about how Taylor had mentioned that the church had put itself up as uh, the mother. Yeah. And that's just interesting. Dependence and maturity. They're basically raising a bunch of mama's boys. And they're all stuck on milk. That's exactly right. And, and the, the whole scriptural <laughs> admonition comes to mind there. Right? And we're going to get into that. I'm expecting Paul says that you'd be on the meat by now, but you're still stuck on the milk. By now you should be on the meat. Good. Yes. I, I had never, I've never seen this passage this way until you put the maturity aspect in the context yeah. of the visible expression of the church. Because yes. in... Hebrews 5, 13, it says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. 
And then, but solid food belongs to those who are full of age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Mm-hmm. The reason that really comes to mind is because it, it specifies the word of righteousness, and that is always our argument. The definition of righteousness and the discernment between good and evil. What is sin, we always ask. Is it only the moral law, or is it everything that God spoke? And it's interesting that both of those are mentioned as people who are stuck on the milk. <clears throat> those of you who haven't stood up here very often to teach, I just want to share with you the extraordinary frustration of putting together future slides uh, that are read almost verbatim by either <laughs> Greg Upham, Joshua Spurlock, or Gregory Bartos. Unbelievable. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Thank you. Well done. Good, good comments. It's interesting you put that one up there because I think I've always looked back as the mature people in the church were pastor, seminary student, Mm -hmm. uh, or some 90-year-old old old dude that had been teaching there for 52 years. (laughs) And and the reason I say that is because um, the last, I called them semesters, the last semester I taught, I was getting involved in my Torah walk, and I taught the book of Deuteronomy. To your Sunday school class. To my Sunday school class, about 50 people. And... And the many comments I've got were, how dare you, who, who do you think you are telling us this stuff? You haven't been to seminary, you haven't done this, you haven't done that. And you don't have the sheepskin, baby. That's unbelievable. And so it's interesting you put that up there because earlier I thought the mature people were those, those people I just labeled off, and yep. now it's more the mature people understand the foundation of God's word and, and their faith and their faith and so so let me put you on this on the spot let me preface for those who are, who are not in the room with us tonight um, I have the utmost respect for Jared over the top he's taught the word of God to people he has stepped out and he's going to leave and I would I would just ask you, do you not believe, would you not agree with me that your maturity started to go through the roof as soon as you started the Torah walk? I've told people in the last three months that I've learned more in the last three years than I've learned in the 35 years I've been a believer. So my <laughs> premise is that maturity is being strangled by the visible expression of the church. And, I mean, those of us who've been in it for years and have come out are living witnesses. I got you, then you. Yes, go. Brock and I were comparing the analogy the other night to, let's say I went to school for four years, then to graduate school and studied woodworking <clears throat> yeah. for eight years. Sure. And just studied it and studied it and studied it. Then I got out and I really didn't know what I was doing. But I got a guy who's, he maybe he spent like six months three months just with his dad working outside and then you take the results and the fruit of both and who knows more about wood the guy who experienced love or work or sure. experienced the bible or the guy who just <coughs> read about seminary stuff exactly. it's hard to go to like even coffee with an average christian and they, 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 talk about. they don't even know the words yeah it's sad it really is yeah we've got the same thing in the it business <laughs> i'd rather hire a guy who doesn't know anything and teach him than a guy who's got the IT stuff. He's got the sheepskin and the whole deal. 
we got to start over anyway. Yes. I just wanted to back up Jerry's comment also because I, I came from the church also and I wasn't really what you would call an avid independent studier of the word but six months in this class I I knew more than I had in my entire life prior to that point. But that's not because we were teaching you as much as we expected you. True. There, there is no difference between me and you other than some gray hair. You should be able to expound upon the Word and teach people the Word of God and share your faith just as I. There's no difference. Gray hair and a few more guns. <laughs> Give it time. Yes, sir. I think to a certain degree, the, uh, the, the church recognizes the lack of maturity and has attempted to compensate for it by the invention of programs. Yeah. How do we get Small our people to, to learn? They well, we've got, to, we've got to do experiencing God. But we've got to do ironworks, and we've got we've got to come up with the program du jour yeah. to try to motivate people to get to a maturity level. Yeah. That's amazing. And That's true. And it goes through a, a phase. And you know, what happened to promise keepers? You know, it, it starts out on an on fire thing, and then in in not long not long after that fizzles and fades away and is replaced by something else and that's to try to get people motivated. Yeah. So they're, it's, it's sad, if you will, that they're actually fighting against the culture that they've created. Mm -hmm. Well, just to, to tack on to that, maybe add a slightly different perspective. Um, in my experience when I was in the physical church, a lot of the programs were driven by, um, quite frankly, church growth objectives. So you had noses. you had church growth consultants who would go around the globe, help you increase your giving units, and <laughs> consult on how to grow your church. Yeah. And it's all these innovations and programs and. The the you know uh, HBO home Bible outreach right you have the cell groups right I mean that all came out of church growth um, movements you know in the eighties yeah. and nineties yeah. and, and so a lot of the, the innovation programs is not always even from because the, they're from, trying to solve the from church, the church right it's because they're just trying to figure out how to get more get people. more numbers yeah yeah I'll, I'll tell you a quick story here on the, on the in spite of the maturity level. Um, one of the programs uh, that uh, this particular church uh, that I was attending wanted to do was to have home Bible studies. And uh, we were looking for couples, not men, because men don't step up. Couples <laughs> to, uh, right? Couples <laughs> to step up, to open their home, to have a small cell group, small Bible study in their home. Because this would foster some fellowship that didn't seem to be happening in the church. So we're going to try and displace the place, try and remove the dependency, and try and build the maturity so we'll have home study groups. Why did it fail? Several people opened their homes, but not nearly the number they were looking for. There were no mature couples to lead it 
So the elders stepped in and said, Whoa, wait a second. I mean, how do we know what they're teaching? It could be heresy. And they nixed it. Because they couldn't control it. They couldn't control it. Which means that the dependency will be lost. Then they might leave the place. That's exactly right. (laughs) (laughs) Find a new place. Well, since he was a little boy, he was not a very good boy. However, when he grew when he grew and became more mature and started studying the Bible, as far as I know, he tried to read the Bible at least once a week, as in like the whole Bible. Um, he started to become a more righteous man because of his maturity and his independence. Exactly his right. Faith. Exactly right. Because it had nothing to do with a place or dependency. One of the best business quotes I've ever heard it says, "We don't hire." We don't try to motivate people. We just hire motivated people. And we see that a lot in Judaism is you don't really see much evangelism. You come in, and if the train's going 300 miles an hour. You just hop on if you really want to roll. But the church goes, they really try to go motivate people. And you're trying to motivate unmotivated people to do really hard things. Yeah, exactly right. All right, so it appears that we're on the same sheet of music with that one as well. The next thing I noticed about <laughs> the visible expression of the church is the desire, the expectation, and oftentimes the dangers associated with a lack of attendance. What were the numbers last week? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, oh, I didn't, I didn't see you last Sunday. Were you, were you sick? You're out of town. Yeah. I was dead. Well, there it is. Uh, the only righteous excuse. <laughs> so, I, I think we're already on the same sheet music, so I'm not going to belabor this. I can uh, whiz through the rest of these. And then finally, the last thing, and I hope you understand my heart in this, is that my critique is that I see an overzealous desire to focus on evangelism at the expense of life. I think Greg's uh, the most uh, vocal proponent of the, the mantra that we should share the gospel as often as we can and preach it throughout everywhere that we go. And if we have to, say something. Our very walk, we believe, should be an evangelistic message. And surely you've noticed that as you've begun to keep the Torah. Whether it's tzitzi, kippah, Saturday, pork, shellfish, whatever it is. Somebody's always asking you to give an account for the hope that lies within you. If that's not happening something appears to be wrong. So, these are my five critique points. I just like to walk through them very quickly. A place, not a people. Um, these are the things that I've heard, and, and this is by way of review now, since we've already discussed it. So very quickly, are, are, are you going to church? Um, where is your church? As if the focus of your faith is not Messiah, it's not Hashem, 
is the address of the building to which you're going to go. I think really when somebody says, where's your church, what they're trying to understand is what flavor of Christianity do you subscribe to? I go to St. Luke's. <laughs> what do you know? Catholic. They didn't recognize the Protestant Reformation. These pups are still Catholic. As if it's a disease that you sometime come into remission of. Yeah. Exactly right. I got elevation. That's right, yeah. I can't hear you either. That's right, yeah. I got elevation. <laughs> <laughs> church. Somebody I, told me this. I actually tuned in online, so I'm really good. That's right. I don't, I don't have to leave anymore. Yeah. I actually like had somebody class. invite me because the coffee was so good. I, you know, we were talking about big coffee for now. The coffee at my church is over the top. And I almost, I mean, I almost got teary-eyed. I just looked at him and I said, I just can't believe how sad. Because it's so shallow. That looked like the praise and worship and, oh, the music program is so amazing. you got to come check it out. Yeah. And I, I've just wondered to myself over the years, I mean, I, I was in a praise and worship band, and, you know, when they started adding fancy lights and fog machines, I just, you know, I'd, I'd been hanging on for a while because I'd, you know, been coming here, but that was just really sort of my breaking point. I was like, okay, this is, this is not necessary. In fact, if you did away with this altogether, how many butts would you have in the sea? There's almost two millions of men here tonight, and there always is. What do we provide? Other than great coffee. What do we provide? <laughs> Nothing! That's wine. 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 I'm the only true guy to come. Here's Ezra chapter 6 verse 5. And also, let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem, and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place, you shall put them in the house, house of God. The church building is not the house of God. In fact, the house of God is in one place. It's in that place. And we, we, God's faithful, not to say that the church attendees are not, we are waiting for our Messiah to return. Where? To Jerusalem. And on his way there, he's picking us up. Secondly, 1 Chronicles 23, verses 27 and 8. For by the last words of David, the sons of Levi were numbered from 20 years old and upward, for their duty was to assist the sons of Aaron for the service of the house of the Lord. Having the care of the courts, and the chambers, the cleansing of all that is holy, and any work for the service of the house of God. There was a particular people chosen by God ethnically, genetically, to do the work of service in his house. It may be a very holy, that is set apart place, but it's not the house of God. Secondly, the dependence we've noticed. You won't grow in your walk if you don't come to the Bible study. That actually may be true. Are you being spiritually fed where you're attending? That's a biggie. It's a biggie. And you know what? It's a farce. Who's supposed to feed you? All of you? You. 
to my son, me. When he leaves, him. Yes? On that point, um, that second point, uh, I mean, I've even had people um, ask me why do I still occasionally attend another um, place. Yeah, another place, right. Yeah. yeah. Because <laughs> they don't really view the scripture the way we do. And I'm like, and what's your point? If I'm going there to be taught and learn and be fed, maybe that's an issue. But I, I, that's, not, that's not why I go. Exactly. So. And where is Bellatora? Well, on, on Friday nights, it's at his house. <laughs> and Saturday mornings, it's at all of your houses. Oh, unless it's the second and the fourth, in which case it happens to be here. Why? Because you're here. Because you are Bellator. You should hear our pastor preach. Word of God. I'm a brother. Mm. <laughs> I get an Aggie man. Glory. 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 First <laughs> Corinthians 13 11. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. The dependence should be gone. The dependence shouldn't be on an external factor. Biblically, it should be on your mother and your father. And then, you're a man. So, in a visible expression of the church today, when does a man become a man? When does a boy become a man? Uh, it, it, it could be 18, 19, 25. It could be when he goes off to college. It could be when he joins the into the military, right? It could be when he finishes college, can't get a job, and comes back and moves in with his parents. Obamacare just kind of moved the age up to That's true, yeah. Now, 33 is the age of a set, yes. And second... Yes, sir. Well, it does seem that dependence, uh, all of us are dependent on each other in order to live a Torah lifestyle because you know, Torah is dependent on the community. So it, it, while we are accountable to ourselves and our own spiritual walk because it's ours, um, it's not meant to be just yours. We're all dependent to learn from accountability. But I, do I, I agree with you 100%. And I would just share that I don't, I have never in my life, and I think every man in this room would agree with you, with me that they have never experienced community until, until they left the visible expressions of church. But you're right. Community is necessary, which is why there's 16 guys standing here. But from my experience of community, anywhere I've ever been previous to this, and this has been the best form of that, the community is not the, the, the sermons. The community is not the worship service. Right. The community was always the most found. The exhortation. Was, was the encouragement of other people living the life, walking the walk, talking the talk, and we go to dinner. Yeah. It was it was the fact that I drive across this, you know, down the road a little bit to go pray on Friday morning with my brother in law just because we can. Amen. And not because somebody mandated it. But you're you're with me. Whether we're at the pistol range or we're cooking chicken on the grill. And I'm encouraged by your walk. Right. And I'm exhorted to do better. But see, I think the key is is the only way that that interdependence, which I think is a better word here, um, functions is if each member is to a certain degree independent. Yeah. I've taught men's Bible studies before and been 
my about ready to cry when I was done because I couldn't drag anything out of well, I say men, they're teenagers at the time, yeah. but drag anything out of it because they didn't they didn't know anything and they didn't want to share anything. That's right. On the other hand, when I stand up in this class, I've got to factor in probably an extra thirty <laughs> minutes worth of comments because thirty minutes is light. Because the guys are because the guys are going to jump in because the guys did their own study first on their own at home. Or in this case, when I sprung this on them, they have an opinion. No, but they've been studying. Amen. We're talking years here. Amen. I, I, I think, at least in my own experience, you know, when I was in the church, and I was in the church for 13 years before I came down this path, and I was in leadership, blah, 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 and I had a long list of acquaintances in the church. But I had a very, I can count on one hand the number of real uh, personal relationships that I had with others. Because the, the culture was, yeah, you're there every Sunday. You're there most Wednesdays. No defense. But you go and then you leave and you, there's no interaction during the week at all. Right. You know. Right. Uh, and... Uh, and so you have these acquaintances you know of people and people know of you and your casual friend but to have people you know at my house till all hours of the night and, and whatever and you know that just wasn't really it wasn't encouraged yeah. and it certainly wasn't ever really uh, modeled exactly. and, and when I when we came into this particular walk, which you know, we started at Congregation Bethel Sinai in Houston, uh, within the first 30 days of attending CBM, I felt like I had more close relationships, more people from that congregation had been in my home or had invited me to their home yeah. than you know people had in the 13 years that I had been in the visible church. It's amazing, isn't it? It's just a different paradigm. Right. I mean, you went to Israel, and you know, my, my only thought was, your wife's home when I... So I did everything I could to make sure that I knew where she was going, what she plugged in, what she being cared for, and I just saw that as my responsibility. And there were other men who saw it as their responsibility as well. I mean, my brother's in Israel. Bastard. <laughs> Who's going to care for his wife? Who's going to care for his son? I mean, it's, it's what we do. It's what we do. Ephesians 4, 13 and 14, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. See, that's the goal. Scripturally. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Messiah, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, and deceitful schemes carried about. James, chapter 1, same deal. Mm -hmm. We're not supposed to be that way. We're supposed to be in the faith, learn the word, learn the Torah, and not be swayed by that any longer. That's a maturity that comes from a lack of dependence on somebody else to feed us. It's our responsibility because we're men. That doesn't seem to mean a whole lot in our culture today. It means a heck of a lot 
here. I just have two questions. If <clears throat> if Sunday mornings rolled around and let's say the pastor of a mega church we just mentioned wasn't here, would they still have church? The answer is no. Well, yeah, they'd still have church, but they'd have a guest standard. speaker or something like that. Yeah. Probably, probably, and, and they You'd have an elder wetting his pants because yeah. he's got to fill the pulpit. <laughs> and you couldn't scale it. If he took five weeks off, you don't have you know, this. But if we take July off, do we still have Shakarit service. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Or yeah. to, to one up that, this man's sick one day. Is there some not one of us who could stand in? Amen. I know several guys who've done and, it. And quite frankly, my desire would be, Johnny, that I could call any guy in this room. I'm going to give Joshua a buy. That Joshua, not this Joshua. You know. <laughs> other than that, I don't have any problem calling any one of you. And if you think I should have a problem calling you, then you need to step up and grow a pair of lungs so that you can speak with gusto. I mean, I mean, maturity. We gotta wait for the people in Gastonia Washington to catch up. Please don't get it in the if you're not growing your backsliding, I've heard that. You need to be fed the pure word of God. You can't fight the devil on your own. Every man must be under authority. What's the difference between kids' Sunday school and adult Sunday school? I actually wrote that down because as I looked back, other than the flannel graph, the message appeared to be the same. Kids and done Kids at Donuts, not at our church. Passion Church. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14, since we beat the maturity horse to death. Solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained. By what? By the pastor? By the Sunday school teacher? No, by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. This reminds me of um, the commission that God gives to the priests to distinguish. Hang on a second, I'm coming to that one too. <laughs> you just, I just always thought it was, well, I didn't always think this, but in recent history I've, I've begun to think this, how you know, people in, in Christianity today think they can just go to Sunday school and read the Bible and all of a sudden they know how to distinguish between, between good and evil, but then expect their children to go to college, learn a craft so they are able to provide and they it's like they have this mindset of oh you have to put in hours of actual hard work in order to provide but you can go this Sunday what a great parallel yeah so I I don't have to do diddly poo poo right in order to learn the word of God and be able to discern between good and evil but my kids obviously have to go to tens of thousands of dollars worth of schooling in order to be able to master a trade exactly Good. That's good. And, you know, uh, uh, just a quick point on that is yeah. that I always, you know, uh, I told you it was more of the, depend, uh, it's more uh, the onus is on the parents. And I always felt like we did uh, a pretty good job with our kids because we always talked. And, I mean, we almost kind of, it was almost kind of like this yeah. atmosphere. Yeah. And I always felt like it was my kids that got picked on the most by the youth pastors. And I think it is based on what you're saying is that, they were basically attacking the idea that they kids weren't dependent upon them. Does that make any sense? It does. 
And I experienced the same thing, Jerry. In fact, when I told the youth pastor at this particular Baptist church, my daughter's not going to be in the youth group, he got all upset, went to the senior pastor. The senior pastor called me, and I said, it ain't going to happen, forget it. Well, you're an elder in the church, it's really kind of upset that you're not, and I said, it's not going to happen. So the youth pastor asked my daughter at church, without me being present, asked her and started coercing her to come to the youth group. And out came the guns. <laughs> I jacked that bad boy right up! That guy doesn't have children. You didn't leave what are you doing? You didn't leave the place? Holy cow! I pulled him aside and I said, I don't know what you're doing, but it needs to stop. Don't you dare go around me! To get to my daughter. It's so important for the non-believers in this world that your daughter be in the youth group so that those in the youth group who don't know Christ can be led to Messiah. What are we paying you for? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I was hot. Oh! Still hot. I told my wife I was not going to yell tonight. (laughs) That was a good story. (laughs) Colossians 1.28 him, that is Messiah, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Messiah. Gentlemen, who do you think has that job? This room? Everybody in this room, every believer in Messiah, should be proclaiming and warning everyone and teaching everyone. Don't you tell me, well, I'm not a gifted teacher. I don't care if you're a gifted teacher or not. Get your butt up in front of the class and teach. It's your job. You need to be able to teach, and you can't teach it if you don't know it. And you want a tough crowd? Stand up here. You guys are a tough crowd. Going back to the previous slide, I think the important thing is living it. And I think that's one of the other issues, too. It's not just study. It's studying with the purpose of wanting to apply it so that you have to wrestle with questions. It's not so easy to simply say, well, let's see, what, what, how, what does Paul say about the word love? Read 1 Corinthians 13. Instead, we're looking at it going, okay, so if, if, this ha- if the Shabbat falls on this day, but someone's got a broken leg, can I, can I help him yeah. get to the hospital? Or people are watching you to see what you're doing. It's not just the wrestling you're doing with yourself, but other people are watching you to see what you're going to do. And I love the fact that when we have some topics where there's some discussion, where there's maybe some, even maybe some division, like some uncertainty, (coughs) someone stands in front of this class and says, I've spent the last three weeks studying it. Let's talk about it. Let's work it out. And I think that's great that um, we've had multiple classes that want to deal with nitty-gritty topics. Amen. And I love those nitty-gritty topics. Even if we don't reach a conclusion. We don't have to. We're just going to talk it out. See what we come up with. Greg, go. Uh, just one uh, couple passages that came to mind in this whole discussion of maturity. Um, I'm taken to Second Peter uh, chapter 1, where, uh, starting in verse 5, it says, And besides this, this being the, the great promises that we've been given as, as uh, believers in, in Messiah, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith, virtue, and then to your virtue, virtue, knowledge, and then to your knowledge, temperance, and to your temperance, patience, and to your patience, godliness, to your godliness, brotherly kindness, and to your brotherly kindness, charity, for if these things be in you and abound, they make you, uh, that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful. And that 
there's a whole there's a whole class here oh, yeah. because this class is, is. In, in my opinion this is really <clears throat> describing a process of spiritual growth and Amen. maturity Amen. that you start with that simple faith and then you add these other character traits isn't so, the first thing you need to add to that faith virtue right where would you learn virtue where would you learn the right and wrong <laughs> Maybe first and second Peter. <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> sure, you're going to learn it from the Torah, and from the Torah, you're just going to continue. Yeah, that's great. Good. All right. We've 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 asked this one about invite your neighbors to come to church. Will you be attending the Wednesday night program? That's what they asked my wife. I was an elder. Is, is Alan going to be coming to the Wednesday night program? We didn't, we didn't see her last Wednesday. No, no, she's not. I'm sorry, I beg your pardon? Yeah, we gasp. Now, um, we have three little tiny children, and we are absolutely fastidious about exactly what time they go to bed. And it happens to be right in the middle of dinner. So she won't be here until they're older. <laughs> Do you know they had a separate elders meeting about that? About whether or not I should remain an elder because my wife would not be attending on Wednesday night? I'm sorry, where's that in the Bible? <laughs> is, is, this, is, is this all the same church? <laughs> it wasn't the same church. These are all different churches. Yeah, I'm trying not to lean too much on one. This one was great. I got there Sunday morning, and I'm there early. Uh, where were you on Sunday night? I was home with my wife. It was the prairie. <laughs> Is there an issue? <laughs> there was an issue. I got jacked up, buddy. Can you help cook at the men's prayer breakfast? That man got asked that. I got asked that. Of course, we were the ones that were setting up the men's prayer breakfast because we just wanted to fellowship with the men. But it was kind of assumed that you would want to go. Why wouldn't you be there? Because that's where we get together. John 4, 29, come, see a man who told me everything that I ever did. Can this be the Messiah? Was, who, who said it, by the way? Woman's about. Did she invite them, the men of Samaria, to a building? No. Or did she introduce them Messiah. And guess what? Many were saved that day. You bet. Should we be doing any differently when introducing people to Messiah? Not focusing on getting them attendance someplace. Acts 16, 13. I like this. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we supposed, we just supposed, there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. What's the sad part? Speaking of women. It was women. Where's the guys? Yeah, okay. 
Lastly, evangelism. Sure. <laughs> this is my biggest pet peeve, is that our faith is not based on our walk, not on our integrity, not on our ability to rightly divide the word of God, but by how many people we've led to Christ. That the fruit of our walk is the number of converts that we have. Notches in the belt. People are going to hell. What are you doing? Can you give your testimony in 30 seconds? If you can't give it in 30 seconds, go ahead, give it to me. 30 seconds. You can't do it. 37 seconds. We need to cut that down, brother. I can give my testimony in like 10 seconds because, you know, the testimony is all about how you came to be saved, right? Well, it would, I came to be saved because my parents taught me that way. <laughs> I didn't really have this spectacular experience. Of, I was, you know, an addict. You never had the big sinner thing going. No. <laughs> so is it really about how you came to Messiah or how you were expressing Messiah? Or how Messiah is being expressed through you. That would be a better way to say sure. it. Yeah. Good job. Once again, in my last semester at church, um, there's a guy that we knew that was always working in the youth or something, but then he and his wife started coming to our Sunday school class, and he was w- well known for this guy that wherever he went would always evangelize. It, I mean, so-called evangelism. Yeah. And his greatest thing was, "Who is Jesus to you?" And and the only reason I tell the story is it's just it's to me it was just hilarious. But Jeremy's there, and he had been walking with you guys for at least a year. So when I was tainted. So when I was uh, when I was teaching, a lot of times I would be going. Jeremy's challenging my wife and me. Jeremy's challenging my wife and me. Well, this guy took it as uh, that Jeremy is off to college. Like and, a negative thing. And there's a yeah, there's a different way. So I'll never forget. And and uh, maybe one of the single most points that said I've I've, I've got to do something different, but. This guy walks straight up to Jeremy and goes, Who is Jesus to you? I mean, right in front of his face. And Jeremy goes, Excuse me? He goes, Who is Jesus to you? And Jeremy goes, Well, uh, I think you've I think you've misunderstood what my dad was saying. He goes, No, who is Jesus? I mean, just and Jeremy goes, All right, do you want the Sunday school answer or the real answer? And the guy goes, Who is Jesus to you? And Jesus and Jeremy goes, Well, my Messiah is named Yeshua, and he's a hundred percent Torah observant was a Jew, is a Jew, will come back as a Jew, and died on the cross for me. Any other questions? And the guy goes, oh. And just turn around walk away. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, I was, I was standing there with my mouth open, you know, and I was like, wow, that's, you know, to, you know, and I was in that guy's point. I used to do the same thing. I used sure. to be uh, yeah, we all a did. church evangelist, <laughs> yeah. you know, and stuff yeah. like that. But, I mean, there was really the, to me, was the, one, you know, you could have expounded on more, but that was the correct answer to say, who is Jesus? I I can tell you and echo your same testimony there, that it's not my life. Everybody knew I was a Christian. The life that's changed are my children's. They don't struggle with what the flannel graph had or, or what the Sunday school teachers said. They can articulate their faith now and stand alone in a crooked and perverse generation. And I'm proud of everyone. Yep. Even people. Yes. <laughs> Going back to the um, thing you mentioned earlier regarding the life as evangelism. Yes. I, I was a part of multiple evangelism efforts as a churchgoer. Sure. Evangelism explosion. Uh, all those yeah, guys. I, can't, I was one of those groups. And we had the little acronym. We had little cards. Yeah. Did you have a bracelet? Oh, How about yeah. the 
How about the gospel colors. fuzzy glove? We that. are the gospel fuzzy. I used to have to sing falsetto <laughs> to praise God, and now I had one of those bracelets that had a red, white, and black bead on it. But you know the crazy thing is, I can't tell you how many times I had to push to get a gospel presentation going before I started keeping Torah. And then out of nowhere, all of a sudden, it's like, I have to, like, tell people, I have to, I'm sorry. I really have to go now. Yeah, it's like, I mean, <laughs> not quite literally, but I mean, literally, I'm not, uh, uh, I had a Muslim strike up our first conversation with the gospel because I was digging for a sandwich that wasn't ham, and he had no idea why I cared. Yeah. I had, a, I had an agnostic former churchgoer manager who repeatedly asked me questions. I felt horribly uncomfortable talking to my boss about his faith. But he wanted to know what I, what on earth I was doing. I've had multiple opportunities in my current work to to share some element of my faith in some regard, regard or another because of my kippah or because of the fact that I leave half an hour early on Friday evenings during the winter. Yeah. This has n- I mean, I I used to try to wear things that had nothing to do with the Bible, hoping someone would go that looks weird. Is that like a hippie thing? Does or like, that bracelet have religious significance? But now. <laughs> It's like, forget the big gold cross chain. I just wore a funny hat, and people just want to ask me questions. I had a complete stranger ask me what the seat seat were. I mean, this is a guy who's never met me before. He's like, what are those? I cannot talk about the Bible with the, with a guy I just literally met 30 seconds ago. There it is. Unbelievable. Yes, I was going to say, I, I remember I was at a table with a guy, and he was wearing one of the yellow, red, yeah, yeah, yeah. blue. He's like, well, this explains the life of Christ. I wear it so people ask me about my faith, so, so which means I tell people about my faith and use the bracelet. And he was like, so what do you do? And I was like, I just wear Zitzi. Like, sorry. <laughs> it's actually in the scripture. Yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> Oops. Yeah. I was just going to add to that. Yes. It's, it's funny how things like Zitzi and Kipa really grab people's attention. I remember I was walking into one of my former manager's office, and she's like, do you know you have white string hanging? <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You want me to tell you what the, they are too? That's right. That's right. Let me tell you about it. <laughs> All right. Two more verses. Gentlemen, Jose 14:9. Whoever is wise, does that count here? Well, see, you're not allowed to say yes. He can say yes for you. You can say yes for him. So, that's unloaded. Let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning. So now we got wise and discerning. Let him know them. For the way of the Lord, the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. The transgressors stumble in them. How you walk expresses whose you are. It's as simple as that. I love this verse. It shocked me this week as I found it. Malachi 2, verses 6 and 7. Here's verse 6. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from iniquity. Does anybody know who Malachi, actually who the Lord is speaking of? Yeshua. It's not Yeshua. I was flabbergasted. Here's verse 7. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he, the priest, is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Malachi is speaking of Levi. 
Levi walked with him in peace and uprightness. Levi turned men from iniquity. That's an amazing rupture. Are we not to be a nation of priests? That doesn't mean you became part of the Kohanim. But if we're all to be priests in our home for sure, and if not, for the rest of the community, should people not seek instruction from your mouth? Are you not a messenger from Adonai Tzema'ot? I think the other thing that should be common, especially in our culture, is the way we walk should make people uncomfortable. Not that we're intentionally trying to make them uncomfortable. It just happens. But it just, it's going to happen. Because you know? we're counterculture. We're, counter, we're counterculture and um, in a very, um, especially in the South where religiosity is still very much a fabric of Even the culture. Yeah. Um, we're going to make you know, we're, uh, on one hand, we're going to we're going to draw people, but we're also going to repel. Yeah, we're going to alienate. We're going to make people uncomfortable, yeah. and you know, the chips will fall where they will. But yeah. um, both, I think, are going to be true. Yeah. All right, it's ten to nine, and I'm, I'm way over time only because you're so you're so verbose. But I I wanted to make clear that we've got a new paradigm. For the folks that may be listening to this and don't know, just started the Torah walk. Just heard about it. Stumbled across us somewhere on iTunes or something like that. But I think that it would be good to have a quick quiz. <coughs> Why do you keep the Torah? God said so. I hate you. <laughs> Why do you keep the Torah? In love. That would not be keeping that's right, that would have <laughs> As I follow the example of the Messiah and seek to do what he did, as he instructed us, I see that in order to be a disciple of a rabbi, which is who Yeshua is, you do what he did. And that's what he did. Is he obeyed his father's Torah on his lips and on his hands, day in and day out. Okay, so now that was, I like that was eloquent. I'm not looking for eloquent. I'm looking for quick, on your feet, somebody wants to know, oh, 30 second testimony, why do you keep the Torah? Understand the constitution of the Bible, of God's word. I like it. Give it to me in your own words. Because I love God. Because I love God. That should foster more questions, just as I was messing with you, and you know that. Um, God says so. instructions for righteous living, why would I not do it? Oh, I like that. Because oh, yeah, that honor question right in the left. That's why. Good, good, good. Scott, why do you keep the Torah? Well, that's a shorter version of... Uh, well, anything would be shorter. <laughs> because Jesus did. Come on. Nice. I like how you use Jesus. Thrust out the left hip. It's the left hip. You think Jesus wears easy? Why don't you go to church? Isaac, why don't you go to church? 
Mm. Come on. What a delightful community. Come on. Wow. Now that's going to foster a lot of questions and a lot of discussion. I like that. that good. Down deep, nice, from the heart. Because I'm not Christian. <laughs> I want to warn you, especially if you're from Gastonia, you don't want to pull that one in the south unless you're ready to take the heat. Why don't you go to church? Because when I, I'm a Buddhist. What? Because <laughs> <laughs> when I congregate with in fellowship with those that I do, we are the church. Okay. So this whole left side has that whole. Picture perfect, verbose answer. I like that. Why don't you go to church? Why do you still answer? <laughs> Ooh. Jew answering questions. Uh, questions. So so why, why don't you go to church? <clears throat> well, I don't. Uh, <laughs> because because you know I don't, I don't get anything out of it. Trying to be fair. Okay. <laughs> Okay, that to me would open up the door to the Muslim to turn you into a, a bomber. But, but uh, <laughs> you, work, you work on that. <laughs> Only the moral law applies now, right? Which one's the moral law? I think that's the best answer. What, which ones are the moral laws? Yeah, but a lot of Bibles have it in there now. They'll have the heading moral laws, and you can go and look I at it. I tell you what, you pull out Leviticus 19 and grab three colored pencils and say, let's highlight blue the moral laws, let's go red for the ceremonial, and let's go green for the civil laws. You just go ahead. And if you happen to highlight two different colors in the same sentence, I feel for you. What's the answer? They're all moral. And you know what? That whole trichotomy Ooh. Ooh. does not exist in the scripture. <laughs> other comments? Did I see other hands? I, uh, I, I asked that question recently, and, mm -hmm. and you'll be surprised. It was surprising to me that, um, that a typical Christian would, would really agree with an Orthodox Jew to just keep like a set of Noahide laws. And that they could just go on living their lives. The problem is Christians profess a relationship with mm -hmm. Messiah and with God, and therefore you can't just live a certain moral lifestyle and, and not deep, dig deeper. And you can't make it up. But it, yeah. But actually, if I can just tack on to that, in this particular conversation, this particular person, you know brought up the whole moral law thing to Colby, and Colby said, well, let's make a list of those. I thought that was a great response. Yeah. It's, it's the same thing. It's well, like, which, which one? ones are they? Yeah. But he was like, let's pull out scripture, let's, let's list out which are the moral laws. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're all, they're all mm -hmm. in the Bible. Well, okay, so are you saying the whole Bible is moral? That's the right answer. Well, you know. But <laughs> <laughs> I like the immoral take on this. So it's not a moral law. Is it an immoral law? Oh, no, 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 it's a ceremonial law. So a ceremony would be immoral because it's not moral. <laughs> well, if it's ceremonial, is circumcising your son ceremonial or is it civil? Well, maybe it's moral. <laughs> well, how about... Maybe it's a health law. How about what I eat? Would that be moral? What's 
Does God change? After I answered yes and realized, well, you can't start there. It's not a good conversation starter. Because I didn't have revelation in my bag because I really wasn't prepared. Okay. Now, you bring up revelation because what? I went on to study. Because what? I went on to study. Right, but why did you bring up revelation? Why would you have Because there's sacrifices. Because there's sacrifices. What about Ezekiel? Zechariah. That's Old Testament, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's talking about the future. I mean, you can interpret Ezekiel allegorically like a lot of the books. Like the all the Presbyterians. What's the, what's the slam dunk Well, on uh, animal 15, sacrifice? Acts 15. Paul. No. What's the slam dunk theologically on the animal sacrifice? It's going to be in the kingdom. The blood of bulls and goats were never meant to take away sin. Never could. So I'm, I'm confused. Why would you have a problem with that if it has nothing to do with salvation and never did? Because Messiah offered his own blood once and for all. The old Right. But he did. So see, he did all the sacrifices. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Now you just added it. I agree that his sacrifice is the ultimate for salvation. This had nothing to do with salvation, and the work of Hebrews makes that clear. So what's the problem? Maybe you don't know what these were for. They weren't for salvation, were they? If you want to stop me from doing this because it denigrates the blood of Yeshua, then you're comparing the blood of Yeshua to bulls and goats. And the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. Why would you put the blood of my master on par with animals? That wasn't for salvation. What was it for? Now you've got a whole new paradigm starting to open up with clean and unclean and approaching the Holy One of Israel, etc. See where we're coming from? Yeah, well, no, I, I, and I agree with that. The only, my only, the only maybe different tact I would take, it would depend on who I'm talking to, but... Yeah. The, the law, the, the sacrifices in the Levitical system were to allow the worshiper to, to, approach. to approach, to draw near in this physical temple on this planet. Amen. The, the, the Messiah's sacrifice, as it were, is no different. It just allows us to draw close to the eternal in a different temple. So you cannot have, you can't draw close in that temple in the world to come if you have not applied that particular sacrifice. Can you see by the interaction and the different ways that we respond, he's from Texas, I'm from New York. There's no right answer here. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> I was also from Texas. <laughs> I got that far. I was stationed in Texas for ten years. I know Texas. There's no right answer here. There's only wrong answers. And our job is to learn the right ones. 
That's the bottom line, guys. That's what this class is all about, is that you should be able to stand up and answer these questions. And if you can't, shame on you, fix it. You're surrounded by men who know the answers. You're surrounded by men who need to practice the answers. You've got a Bible, a Chumash, a Tanakh, a New Testament, whatever you want to call it. Last question. Hmm. We're in grace, not law. Hmm. But the law of grace is what I'm keeping. Well, that's clever. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any Baptists would fall for that, but that's clever. That's clever. Good, good. How would you respond? How about just read Psalm 19, the second half? The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul, making the simple one wise. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The law of the Lord was perfect. Grace and mercy are worthless without a law. That's good, but I think it would take more explanation. And if you know the explanation, I think that's good. That's great. My answer would be, because I just want to get them to talk, because I'm going to... It's 9 o'clock. Oh, it's 9 o'clock. Wow. So I'm going to sell rope, right? So I'm just going to get them to talk and give them enough rope to hang themselves. So you're not saying that law and grace are juxtaposed against one another, are you? You're not, you're not one that thinks that there's no grace in the Old Testament, are you? Should we look for the grace? Or should we look for the law in the apostolic writing? If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. This is how we can know the love of God, that we keep his commandments. I mean, I think a follow-up to that almost would be something like, uh, can we, um, so if we're under grace and not under law, does that mean that we can do whatever we want? Right, so can I kill you now? Because that grace may abound. There it is. But, Romans 6, may it never Never be. be. Last verse of Revelation chapter 12 makes it clear that the people that are going to last are the ones who hold to the testimony of Jesus and keep keep the commandments of God. You know, we should talk about that. Last verse of uh, Lamentations, too. Lamentations or uh, second last verse in Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes. One of the two. Yeah, that one. Did I get it right here? Same one. Oh. <laughs> exactly right. Second last verse, I think, in Ecclesiastes is good stuff. Yes. Gentlemen, well done. I'm, uh, I'm grateful for your participation. I know we went long, and I apologize for that. You can discussion. have an extra glass of wine if you like. It's a good discussion. I thought it was good. May you taste of the sweetness of the world to come in this life. May you see your children's children come to faith. May your end be with the life of the world to come and your deeds affect the hope of many generations. May your heart ponder and achieve understanding of Torah. May your mouth speak wisdom to everyone you meet. And may your tongue bring forth song as you praise the Holy One. Blessed is He. May you have the self-control to look straight before you. May your eyes be enlightened by the light of Torah. And may your face shine like the brightness of the sky. May your lips utter knowledge, your heart rejoice in righteousness, and your feet run to hear the words of the ancient of days. Amen. 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 Amen.